Good Monday morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Amy, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Today's date is, is Monday, July 22nd, and today we are reading from the big book on page 48, the third paragraph starting, Everybody Nowadays. Today our readers are Lois, Edini, Julie, Rebecca, Penny E., and Judy B., The reference number from Sunday, July 21st, our special meeting. And if you're looking for a review of the 12 steps, I couldn't recommend it higher. The number is 4825. That number again is 4825. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Lois to read the 12 steps, please. Good morning, uh, Amy. Good morning, everyone. Uh, This is Lois, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Admitted to God and to ourselves, to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to... Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much, and I pass. Thank you, Lois. I will now call on Edini to read the 12 Traditions, please. Thank you. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Edini, and I am a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. 
the Twelve Traditions, one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, least problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Irini. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share approximately to three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous on page 48 in the third paragraph starting with everybody nowadays. And I will ask, Julie, to begin the reading, please. Go ahead, Julie. Press star one to unmute. Hi, this is Julie, a recovered compulsive overeater in California. Everybody nowadays believes in scores of assumptions for which there is good evidence, but no perfect visual proof. And does not science demonstrate that visual proof is the weakest proof? It is being constantly revealed as mankind studies the material world that outward appearances are not inward realities at all. To illustrate, do I go ahead? 
Yes, please. The prosaic steel gritter is a mass of electrons whirling around each other at incredible speed. These tiny bodies are governed by precise laws, and these laws hold true throughout the material world. Science tells us so. We have no reason to doubt it. When, however, the perfectly logical assumption is suggested that underneath the material world and life as we see it, there is an all-powerful, guiding, creative intelligence Right there, our perverse streak comes to the surface and we laboriously set out to convince ourselves it isn't so. We read wordy books and indulge in windy arguments thinking we believe this universe needs no God to explain it. Were our contentions true, it would follow that life originated out of nothing, means nothing, and proceeds nowhere. Um, This is Julie. Um, You know, when I first came in a program, which was in 81, and then up until last year, last November, I never really read We Agnostics um, thoroughly. I would skim over it because I always said, oh, well, you know, I believe in God. And when um, you look at this paragraph again, it's like, you know, especially they they use the word assumption twice, and it's like to be taken for granted. And I took for granted what I thought um, we agnostics met and you know I can look at that paragraph and I see myself I read so many books I wanted to find out exactly how a God could be real you know how it could work for me not to disprove it but to really make it sink inside me so that I could win an argument so that I would be okay in what I felt or what I um, believed in and when I um really started to understand the program and what it was and who I was. The all-powerful, guiding, light, creative intelligence changed for me. You know, I don't have to to win an argument anymore because I know who that is. And it's so free because I never thought, I always thought I believed. I never thought that that was a problem, but I see that, you know, I am agnostic in other areas of my life. And... um, I just want to you know, say thank you, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Julie. Would anyone else like to share on what was read, please? Press star one to unmute. This is Paula. May I share? Yes, Paula. Please go ahead. And Thank you, Amy, and thank you for your service and for this opportunity to share. I'm going to go to this line. It is being constantly revealed as mankind studies the material world that the outward appearances are not inward reality at all. And then they give you illustrations. But, you know, don't we see that here clearly? They're talking about the material world. Well, also here, I walk in the spiritual world as we do. The outward appearances are not inward reality at all. Sometimes I look at circumstances And I said, well, gee, look at this is happening and this is going on. Gee, this doesn't seem right at all. Are not inward reality at all. And today we can walk in serenity. And this is what it's saying here clearly, clearly, that the weakest proof, they demonstrate that the visual proof is the weakest proof. It's not what you see on the outside. It's what goes on on the inside that keeps the outside going. And it says, and I just love this, 
constantly revealed, and that it is. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Melanie? (laughs) Go ahead, Melanie, and then who was that? Kim. Kim. Melanie and then Kim. Go ahead, Melanie, please. Good morning, Amy. Hi. Good morning, Vision for you. This is Melanie, uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Oregon. I was fascinated when I was taught that glass, looking glass, was a liquid made up of sand and all put together, and I accepted it readily. I was fascinated. I thought it was wonderful, and I accepted it readily. Same idea that they're talking about here with other other things. The, The steel girder. I don't think about it so much, but that was fascinating to me, and I accepted it. Ball-faced, didn't question it, that's it. Why, then, do I have difficulty in a greater intelligence? I think what they're trying to teach me here, as with these illustrations, is that I'm already reliant upon it. So it's, it's all of my mixed-up thinking that resists it. If I'm already relying and, and trust the idea that this glass is a liquid that I'm tapping on and that this steel girder is a mass of electrons, I'm already crossing that girder or, or, or other things that are suspended without any question. I just do it. That that's what the idea here is, that I'm already believing and trusting. So I've gotten it all mixed up with my thinking again, an issue around my thinking. That resists it. So, with the basic idea that this step work is going to teach me to understand that I already am, and it'll take away those that delusional fear that I have, gives me just such freedom. I'm getting excited about thinking about the whole idea. I thought it best. Thank you, Melanie. Go ahead. Oh, shoot, I just drew a blank on who was after Melanie. Who was that, please? Kim. Yes, Kim. Kim. I'm so sorry. Go ahead, Kim, please. <laughs> Happy Monday, Amy. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, <laughs> good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Everybody nowadays believes in scores of assumptions for which there is no good, for which there is good evidence, but no perfect visual proof. You know, we do believe in things. We come into agnostics and we're like, how can we believe in a God that we don't see, feel, touch? How can we believe in this? How can we believe in a power greater than ourselves if we can't visually see it? But it's true. Everybody believes in things. You know, I went on vacation last week and I was up in a remote area of New York camping and, you know, and and, in this one area we had Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi in the woods. And I just accepted the fact when I took my iPad to this little dining pavilion, I was going to be able to check Facebook. Woohoo! And I took my iPhone and I walked around these beautiful trails that are miles of trails and I would hold up my phone and see how many bars I had. And I believed. You know, why would I think that in the middle of these woods there would be, there would be self-service? But yet there was. You know, I had the worst sense of direction. But when I go to this place, well, I don't, I don't go crazy trying to think and memorize. All I do is I have this little contraption called a GPS. And I plug it in and I put in the address and I see acquiring satellites and I start my car up and I go. And if I keep going and it says to go right and I don't and it says recalculating route, 
I simply wait till it tells me where to go. There's no visual proof. I don't go in there and call up the manufacturer and say, can you tell me where this satellite is and how this GPS works? Because I need to know that before I go on this trip. No, I just have a belief. I have a belief that when I plug in that GPS and I get in my car, I'm going to get from point A to point B, and I trust that. You know, if you talk to kids today and you tell them, you know, there was a time when I talked on the phone, there was a wire that attached it to the wall, and that was the only way I could talk on the phone. They couldn't believe it. Or there was a time when I wanted to watch TV, I'd have to get up, I'd have to change the station, and there was no such thing as a remote. And I even catch myself now, too. Once in a while, I'm in front of a computer. I start to touch the computer screen, assuming every computer screen has a touch screen. Because we so easily accept modern technology. We so easily believe that these technologies are going to grow. You know, my friend has that little Siri thing, and when she has a question, she doesn't type into her computer what the question is. She just says, Siri, tell me where the closest you know, pizza joint is, and the, and the computer tells her. So everybody nowadays believes in scores of assumptions for which there is good evidence, but no perfect visual proof. So what we are being asked to do when we agnostics is to be open-minded, to be open-minded to a power out there that can help us solve all of our problems the same way that we are open and willing and readily excited about the newest technology that will make our life easier. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else like to share on what was read, please? It's Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive reader. I wanted to focus in on this statement. And does not science demonstrate that visual proof is the weakest proof? It is being constantly revealed as mankind studies the material world that outward appearances are not inward reality at all. Um, you know, what are we studying now? We're studying step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Um, all that's being asked of me here is, um, you know, am I willing, you know, do I believe or am I even willing to believe in a power greater than myself? Um, you know, I might not be able to define that presence or understand it, um, and certainly it's not, not tangible. But uh, like was just stated, there are numerous uh, examples of gadgetry and technology, you know, that we, we utilize and we depend on, uh, and we can't explain it. You know, so all that's being asked, am I willing to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity? Because that willingness to believe is the cornerstone on which the rest of the program is going to be built. Uh, my next door neighbor, you know, has been uh, building a very large addition on the back of their house. Now, when that addition began to be built, uh, and we would walk by it, and that foundation had been laid, there wasn't much to see. <laughs> All that was there was, was the foundation. You know, they laid uh, a big slab of cement. It doesn't appear that much was there, but the beginning was there. The beginning was there, and it's the same way with us in this spiritual development. At first, there isn't much to see. 
at first there is not much to see. But this coming to believe is going to be the very basis on which all the rest of this, you know, of these steps are going to be laid. It's the basis on which all the rest of our spiritual life is going to be built. So it's not that seeing is believing. Believing is seeing. God will reveal himself to me if I am willing to believe that he exists. Um, You know, these 12 steps contain the principles of the way that we change. So whatever we believe, you're going to become, good or bad, right? (laughs) Whenever our lives are in a mess, and certainly my life was in a mess when I got here, I had been believing something that was distorted. I had been believing ideas and attitudes um, that were untrue and making decisions and taking actions based on those distorted ideas, those distorted attitudes, that distorted vision. I'd been running my life based on those old ideas, sometimes decisions and attitudes that I had developed as a young child. And perhaps I needed those ideas and attitudes as a young child. Perhaps that was some of my survival mechanisms at that time. But the reality was that that vision, that, that vision that I had was very, very limited, and it was not serving me well as an adult. So, you know, food and weight were merely a symptom of my distorted thinking. It was... Uh, you know, an, an expression of how separated I was from God. So what's being asked of me here in this paragraph is, can I do something different? Can I believe something different? Because when I believe something different, then I make different decisions based on that new vision, and I act differently based on that new vision. And you know what? The results of my life are different because all action is born in thought. So if I can begin to believe something different, my life is going to unfold in that way. And, of course, the steps are going to be built on that willingness to believe. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? I'd like Hi, to share. Rose. My name is Rose. Christina. Let's. The only person I got was Rose and Christina. I'll try to get to the others as well. Rose, go ahead, please. Thank you, Amy. This is Rose, recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And very briefly, um, the phrase "our perverse streak," and um, that that speaks so loudly to me for for one reason. Um, I was an atheist as well as an agnostic. And um, uh, but it 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 didn't go uh, very deeply. I was essentially uh, a food addict, a compulsive overeater, in my addiction from uh, just about birth on. And there was a perverse streak in me. When I completed my fifth step, I was able to really um, see that very clearly, where it was in action all my life. And the um, the the perverse streak is really, I feel very connected to the um, obsession. You know, the the nature of the addiction itself. You know, um, 
that I was um, ignorant of. And therefore, you know, I mean, my thinking uh, throughout all the years was so distorted. Um, uh, one from Rose star one to unmute. Thank you, Leah. Um, I don't ahead. know where we left off, but thank you. Uh, the one thing I'll, that I was trying to say about it is that the perverse streak for me was entirely um, hooked up with the disease itself, and that had me so blocked off from coming to believe in anything outside of the food I was putting in me, which I could touch and see, and it gave me that momentary ease and comfort, that this um, was such an ingrained uh, habit that it seemed almost impossible to believe in something that was invisible. And um, I was extremely ignorant of um, of what a higher power might have meant. And then when that when that opening did come, then um, how shall I say the perverse streak was no longer a problem. Um, the the willingness to believe really was given. And that opened up everything to the rest of the steps in the program. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rose. Christine, go ahead. Star one to unmute. Okay, who else would like to share on what was read, please? There were a number of voices, but... Good morning. My name is Christina. Yeah, Christina, there you are. Go ahead, Christina, please. Yeah, for some reason it muted me again, my phone. Um, I was thinking as as we were reading and, and people were sharing, uh, when I came in, I had no idea that I might have been agnostic because I grew up with, you know, religion and going to church and things like that. But... Uh, I never thought about using God to help me with this food problem. You know, I just, I just thought um, I didn't have the right diet, and the, the skinny girls were lucky. And um, I couldn't see God's hand in my life. The women that sponsored me in this program helped me to see how a power greater than myself could guide me. And, you know, I think that um, for all those years before I came in and uh, that the ego was in charge. And, and my opinion is that the ego only knows what's behind you and tries to keep you safe. And, and you know, I have a faith in a higher power based on what I have seen and experienced in this program but I could not know what was before me. And, you know, I had to see the results in somebody else's life. I had to identify with what they said and, and um, think, okay, I'm just going to try this. 
I'm just going to say a prayer and see what happens. And somebody suggested one time that that could be a scientific uh, experiment. You don't believe in God? Okay. You know, just say a prayer and see what, what happens. And, um, you know, I'm grateful every day, even even the hard ones, because this, this program gave me a kit of spiritual tools that I can meet each day with. And, you know, sometimes I have a, a wonderful 45 minutes, and I know that I'm in the right life, and you can't write a check for that. So that's what I had to share. My name is Christina. Thanks. Thank you, Christina. I thought I heard Katie from Virginia in there. Hi, was... Nancy from Canada. Can I share? Yes. Go ahead, please. Hi, this is Nancy, a compulsive eater in Canada. I, um, I've i been looking at step two, more of a, of a two-step, two uh, two-part step, uh, believing that there's a power greater than myself and also believing that that power can restore me to sanity. Um, because as a compulsive overeater, I come into the room already believing in a power greater than myself. And that power greater than myself is a food. Um, and I have, I have visual proof and I have experiential proof that it is a power greater than myself because it controls me. It controls me and I cannot control it. Um, if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't have come into the room in the first place. Um, and I also believe or at least used to believe that that power can solve my problem. You know, um, if I have a problem in my life, big or small, I mean, I think about eating. Eating will solve my problem. Well, then I see, well, you know, it doesn't really solve my problem, but it makes me feel better. So when I have a problem, I eat so I can feel better. And then I start seeing that, well, it really doesn't make me feel better for a very long time. Um, but I still eat because it makes me feel better for a little bit of time. Um, and that's better than nothing, right? So I still believe in this power greater than myself. The only problem with this power is that it doesn't restore me to sanity. It makes me crazy and it keeps me crazy. And, and uh, so what step two does is you've got to find a better power, a newer power that can actually solve your problems for you not just make you feel better for a long time or even a little time or even a nanosecond. You need a power that can, can solve your problems. And that, that, that's what, what step two is for me, is shifting from, from a tyrannical um, power greater than myself to, to one that can actually restore me to sanity. Um, thank you, and uh, with that, I pass. Thank you. Uh, my name is Amy. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. What struck for me today was when, however, the perfectly logical assumption is suggested that underneath the material world, all life as we see it, is there, is there a powerful creative guiding creative intelligence right there, our perverse streak comes in, comes to the surface, and we laboriously set out to convince ourselves it isn't so. I mean, laboriously set out. I mean, I worked at being an agnostic. I choose. I chose not to believe. I I tried God and I found God wanting, but under the lash of compulsive overeating, under the lash of my inability to stop stuffing the food down my throat, and the insanity of my life, 
I came to Overeaters Anonymous, and you told me there was a way, there was a solution. And that's what they've been doing, you know, as they set these chapters in place. You know, we have the doctor's opinion that describes the physical allergy, the mental obsession. We have little stories that we can identify in. I don't know about you, but I sure identified in. We learn more about alcoholism, about the, 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 the crazy aspect of the mental obsession, of how our mind is perverse in its thinking about food. And in the same way, my mind, my old ideas was perverse when it came to thinking about God. I consciously pushed that away and I fought it. I fought believing. And so many people have said today about, about letting go and just being willing to try, to stop consciously fighting it. It was like my belief in a higher power. I had to stop fighting that, just like I had to stop fighting whether or not I was a compulsive overeater. If we go to step two on page 27, it's talking about this idea of, of coming to believe. It says here in the second paragraph, this guy was fighting it, fighting it. Then I woke up. I had to admit that AA showed results, prodigious results. I saw that my attitude regarding these had been anything but scientific. It wasn't AA that had a closed mind. It was me. The minute I stopped arguing, I could begin to see and feel. Right there, step two gently and very gradually began to infiltrate my life. I can't say upon which occasion or upon what day I came to believe in a power greater than myself, but I certainly have that belief now. To acquire it, I had only to stop fighting and practice the rest of AA's program as enthusiastically as I could. For me, my belief, my step two, came as a surrender, as a letting go. I was designed from the debating design. I resigned from fighting against what I used to believe and what I used to think about a higher power. I was terrified of going back. I admitted and I stopped fighting the fact that I was a compulsive overeater. I knew in my heart of hearts I had surrendered. I could not be the higher power in this case. You all showed me there was a way. You all showed me you were recovered. And it wasn't just about the weight loss. I saw peace and serenity. I saw the insides coming out of your eyes, showing peace and serenity from the mental obsession, not having to think about food anymore, obsess about food anymore, letting food rule my life anymore. And you showed me that all I had to do was stop fighting and be willing to take that step forward to believe in a power greater than myself outside of myself, that I no longer was in the driver's seat. And that's all I had to do was be willing. And that's what they're saying here is to stop fighting it. You know, the laboriously set out means, boy, I was making an effort. That's what we do. We make an effort to convince ourselves, say it isn't so, say it isn't so. But the reality is as soon as I let go, I put down that fight. I stopped fighting. Step two started to work for me because at that point I was willing to believe and try something different. And I saw the results. I saw the results. Any number of recovered folks on this line will tell you as a newcomer, the results, the power, everything you need to recover is here. It's in the 12 steps, and all we need to do is to take, put down, put down the battle, whatever, put down the weapon and stop the fight. And with that, I'll pass. We'll take a couple more shares before we move on to the next paragraph. Who would like to share, please? Rochelle. <clears throat> Rochelle. Go ahead, yeah. Rochelle. Thank you. I've been trying to unmute myself, so I really am glad you made that announcement. Um, first of all, I, I'd like to thank whoever started this this meeting. It is absolutely amazing. I heard someone say recently, it's it's the Harvard of the big book study. Oh, yes, <laughs> it is indeed. Um, relative to um, the paragraphs that are read, 
uh, one of the things that has struck me is that we say out our money, in God we trust. But I think for me it was in food we trusted, at least I trusted. And whenever I had a problem, it was turn to the food, it'll solve it, you know. And turn to the refrigerator, it's, it's like my God, God forbid. And, and I'm a religious person, and no matter what the circumstances was, that was my God. And, um, and thank God um, I discovered that. It didn't bring me happiness. It didn't bring me joy. It brought me pathos. And uh, today, today I truly believe in God. I truly believe that it's important to have a personal relationship with that God. And I've seen it. I've seen it so many times that um, the power is there. You know, and this idea of the invisible idea is really a tremendous, tremendous step forward. I mean, we live in times where. Uh, you know, at one time, let's say during the Renaissance, uh, people believed, let's say like Galileo or Copernicus or people in those days, being religious was part of their the fabric of their lives. Of course you believed in God. Of course you believed there was a power greater than you. And then came the, the age of science where, you know, wait a second, let's examine this. Let's take this apart. Let's see what's there. And little by little, people came to believe that... Um, there is nothing greater than themselves. They are the sum of, of the intelligence of the world. And, and, and here, it certainly is worth applauding everybody who's on this line who wants to suspend judgment and say, wait a second, I'm going to look at the science stuff. I'm going to look and see, it's not science that's in charge. You know, who created the science? You know, where did it come from? Where, where did the egg come from? You know, and, and, and instead, it's the invisible. You know, it, it's like in my life, for example, I will see a coincidence. For me, coincidence used to mean just seeing that something that happened, you know. But now I, I understand that, no, it's, it's God giving me a gift in my daily life, whether it's meeting a friend who I haven't spoken to for a, a long time or seeing a beautiful flower that I hadn't expected to see or feel a breeze when it's a hot day. Where does that come from? That's my higher power. That's my higher power showing me love, showering me with gifts. And, um, and so, therefore, today, I am, I am not an agnostic, whether in word or in deed, and I try all the time to try to attach myself to my higher power, and I really just want to say thank you, and uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rochelle. I heard this one is Lois. Yes, there you are, Lois. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, everyone. Lois, compulsive overeater, recovered in Massachusetts. <clears throat> and this is such a rich um, paragraph or two. That, um, you know, when I talk about outward appearances and inward experiences, well, I, as when I relate to with where I was when I first was in my disease, this is what I was thinking about this morning, this came to me, that, you know, in my disease, I was a very sick and suffering compulsive overeater, and I wasn't capable of anything other than stumbling, either stumbling forward or stumbling back to my chair and eating more and more and more, but... Uh, a friend of mine came one day who we had, I had worked with who she said, why don't you, I'm, a, I'm in OA. She said, I go to OA. She said, why don't you just try, I said, I'm not a compulsive overeater. And I truly believed I was not <clears throat> because I had the wrong um, understanding of what a compulsive overeater is. And she said, why don't you just try this? It's like a generic diet, four ounces, 12 ounces of veggies. <clears throat> and I said, I was desperate, desperate. I had the gift of desperation. So I said, Sure, why not? So I tried to follow her <clears throat> diet for two or three days, and I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't. Of course I couldn't. You know, I was a compulsive overeater, and I couldn't do it. So I knew of a, a local OA meeting. I had never been, never even th- thought of going, never wanted to go. And so I went to that meeting, and I listened, and I took home 
you know, I didn't, I didn't really relate at all. It was an OA, you know, meeting, and I didn't relate. I took home the paperwork, you know, the twelve questions, and I was reading them when I got home, and I showed them to, my, I showed them to my husband, and I said, "See this?" He said he read them, and he said, "You're not a compulsive overeater." And I said, I remember this so perfectly. I said, I don't care. I said, I don't know what I am, and I'm going anyway, and I'm going. And I went, and I know today, you know, looking back in my recovery, that that was the hand of God bringing me there. You know, it was, wasn't was anything to do with me. And what I've learned since, in the many years since then, you know, I had many years where I, in and out and in and out, of course, like everybody. But when I look at most of the wonderful, wonderful life-changing things have happened to me in my life, it was always the hand of God. But, you know, being a sick and suffering compulsive overeater, nothing happened outside of myself. It was always me either being good or bad. So, you know, if anybody's on the line and they are where I was, please, you know, just keep coming, be open-minded, and hopefully you'll have the gift of desperation. Like um, they say in program, we came, we came to, and we came to believe. That's the, that's the uh, progression of recovery. Thank you so much, and I pass, Amy. Thank you, Lois. We're going to move ahead now. Rebecca, would you please read the next paragraph? Good morning. This is Rebecca S. from Connecticut, a grateful compulsive overeater. Instead of regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, spearheads of God's ever-advancing creation, we agnostics and atheists choose to believe that our human intelligence was the last word, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end of all. Rather vain of us, wasn't it? And I'd like to share on this paragraph. I looked up the definition of the word vain, and I see that it means conceited and lacking in substance, as in a vain attempt. The food and excess weight had beaten me down. I finally humbled myself enough to come into these rooms. I may have bristled at first by the talk of God, but this chapter, as does the entire book, so logically lays out the message in a way I can receive it. And here, when it comes to the subject of becoming willing to believe in a power greater than myself, I am confronted with the notion that I am vain. I looked up the definition, as I told you, and um, what gave me oh, what gave me any reason in the world to be vain, to stubbornly believe the world would revolve around me, that I was the Alpha and the Omega. I didn't have the answer. I was desperate. I was food-obsessed. My mind and body were distorted. Yes, rather vain of me, wasn't it, for me to think for another minute that I could know better than anybody, let alone these first 100 recovered people. And I'll pass. Thank you, Rebecca. Would anyone like to share? And please remember to share on what was read. This is Katie. Go ahead, Katie. Good morning. This is Katie F. in Virginia. And uh, I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, uh, Rather vain of us, wasn't it? Um, 
the thing that I, I think they're trying to teach us in this passage is that people so easily say, oh, I don't believe in God. Oh, God's not going to help me. And yet we're flat on our face in the food and cannot get out of it. So, you know, one, and, and one side of our mouths we're saying um, we're better than God and we, we're just equal to God, and then at the same time we can't do anything about our um, lives. So I think they're trying to, you know, that previous paragraph, I couldn't even begin to, to talk about it because it's like, what? I mean, you know, if I think if this were written today, you know, it would be explaining like the insides of a computer or an iPad or an iPhone like, like others shared. Um, and no, I mean, there are some people out there who understand how those things work, but basically the average Joe doesn't. And, you know, I like to consider myself as an intelligent person, but all of my intellect and all of my logic could not get me recovered. And they're trying to wear us down to say, you know, your way is not working. So I don't care what you believe, what you've been believing doesn't work, and you need to look at that and consider believing something else. Um, my attempts only led me to self-destruction, further and further self-destruction. It wasn't until I was able to say, I have no idea what to do. Please help me. And asked others who had gone before me, you know, what method they used and how it worked for them, then I was ready to surrender to my higher power, who I believe is God. Um, and trust. And, you know, that's as, as I shared last week, you know, when I turn on the lights, the lights come on. I mean, if the electricity's on, they do work. Stepping out in faith to believe in God, we don't have a guarantee. We don't know. It's not that we don't have a guarantee because God will meet me where I am. I do know that today. But I really don't know what it's going to look like. So I had to believe not only in God, but that God was good and that God was going to give me uh, a better life than I was doing on my own. And my best thinking, you know, was considering driving off the road and being dead. So I had to surrender that thinking and trust that God probably had a better idea than I did. And even though I wasn't going to be able to turn on the light and see what God was going to do, I could trust that he was going to guide me and that all I had to do was the next right thought or action. And simplifying my life that way continues to um, afford me a, a much better life than I ever could have imagined. And it doesn't mean I'm rich and famous. It doesn't mean that I'm, uh, you know, without problems, that I have perfect children, a perfect husband, a perfect, you know, a house that doesn't get dirty. It just means that I no longer have to take my will back and try to do it my way, which the only way I could do that was to anesthetize myself in the food. And that is what we're talking about, that we are offering a way that you can go through life today without picking up the food, that God's going to carry you instead of trusting 
for believing in yourself, which involves uh, your substance, that you can surrender to that and trust God. And with that, I'll pass. I'd like to share. Uh, who is this, please? My name is Nancy. Monica. Go ahead, Na- Go ahead Nancy, and then Monica. Hi, this is the first time I've shared uh, on this pro- on this uh, program. Um, Welcome. Thank you. What got what got my attention? I've enjoyed the other shares. Was uh, the sentence, and I've read this a million times, but today it really resonated. What what it means to me? Instead of regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, spearheads of God's ever advancing creation, it says, "Wow, I'm an agent of God. What I mean, what an awesome idea that God would use me." <clears throat> to carry out his perfect plan and his will. My job is to stay in constant contact with him to find out exactly what his will is for me so that I can carry out uh, whatever his plan is, uh, whatever God's plan is for me. But there's, there's one stipulation. The thing that kept me from connecting with this higher power was my food uh, obsession. Uh, if food was my guide, then my only um, quest in life was to satisfy uh, this overriding compulsion that had me um, just defeated, you know. But once um, once the papa stopped out of my ears and my eyes became open and I came to believe that, that there really is a purpose, I really have a purpose. And when I meditate and ask God in my early morning meditations to show me what his will is for me and throughout the day do what it tells me in the big book, say, thy will be done, I have been led to some marvelous experiences. Um, And when I look back, I know it was just the hand of God, that God's will was taking place. And I was not even aware that I was being used by this higher power. I mean, the whole concept is just so fascinating that if I can stay abstinent, and I know I can't do it on my own, but if I'm abstinent, then I am truly being used by God. I mean, that just gives me goose pimples. So I thank you. I'll keep coming back. Thank you, Nancy. Go ahead, Monica. Thank you, Amy. This is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And the lady ahead of me here basically took what I was going to say. Instead of regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, our little dictionary says instrument instead of agent, instrument as a, a, a definition, spearheads, leading forces of God's ever advancing creation. We agnostics and atheists choose to believe that our human intelligence was the last word. So like she said, Instead of regarding ourselves as an instrument, a leading force of God's plan that he's got out there for everybody, we humans like to think that we're the beginning and we're the end. We know it all. Um, And we're always trying to control. You know, I had tried to control everything. And, And then the last sentence says, rather vain of us, wasn't it? And vain, uh, in a little dictionary here, vain, failed, unsuccessful, rather unsuccessful of us, wasn't it? You know, uh, like uh, uh, 
you hear on TV, you know, how did that work for you? You know, how's it working for you? Well, it did not work for me. I am not in control. There is something greater. And when I stopped to think about this, um, it was vain of me. And I was very, very unsuccessful. My way did not work. And they're trying to get me to think here, you know, your way didn't work. How about trying an experiment here, like someone else was saying? How about trying an experiment here and trying something different? How about trying to just think outside of the box a little bit? You know, we're so easily today, we'll pick up the newest gadget and believe in it. Use that same type of thinking with God here. And we experienced people will tell you, wow, wow, there is a way out. And this is going to work for you if you work for it. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. We have time for a couple more shares. Who would like to share? Please press star one to unmute to share on what was read. It's Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. Instead of regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, spearheads of God's ever-advancing creation, we agnostics and atheists chose choose to believe that our human intelligence was the last word. Um, right, we're making a choice. I mean, what is what is an atheist? An atheist is one who says there is no God. And what about an agnostic? Uh, the title of this chapter, we agnostics, we without knowledge. You know, agnostic, a person that may or may not believe there's a God, but acts as if he disbelieves uh, there's a God, which was kind of my status, you know. I just, I had no uh, no understanding. You know, I was spiritually undeveloped. We know, you know, children who uh, perhaps are physically undeveloped or uh, mentally or emotionally stunted. Uh, I was spiritually stunted. You know, I just stood on my own two feet. I ran my own show. I, you know, <laughs> made my own decisions. I ruled my own destiny. I never turned to God for help. There was no relationship there. There was no address uh, titled God. You know, and I got the same help from God that the atheist gets, which is nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Um, I had no knowledge, you know, because I never tried to use God in my life. I just did my own thing. I relied on my logic, on my reason, on my self-knowledge, on my intellect. Um, and, you know, I, I did not turn to God. I didn't have that relationship. I, you know, I just ran my own show, and the results of that was that my life was a mess. <laughs> I ran on my own human resources, and I almost ran myself into the grave with my own fists because I was self-destructing under the guise of seeking ease and comfort. You know, this, this disease humbles you. It, it beats you into a state of reasonableness. Step two, which is what we're studying, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step two is suggesting that this process is going to be a restoration of sanity. It is going to allow for that restoration. So humility is required. I had to be beaten up <laughs> so that it would allow me to... Uh, to have the state of mind to unfold in this direction. 
And it was only pain. <laughs> it was pain that was the greatest motivator here for me. Um, you know, it couldn't be a decision out of intellect and out of knowledge and out of self-will. I saw where that got me. This was a de- this was a decision that was born out of pain. God came in through the wound, and all I needed to do was to be willing to believe that a power greater than myself was going to be waiting to be my personal salvation. And what followed as I proceeded through the steps was a process that brought that power into my life and enabled me to grow in love, to grow in grace, to grow in, in, in health, you know, and, and cooperation with these principles. You know, but it, it was a choice. It was a choice born out of pain. I had my results. What were my personal results? My personal results was that I was in a, in a facility with locked doors and a plastic band around my wrist. But what about the people whose lives had been restored to sanity? What about the people whose lives had been transformed that were ex-problem drinkers and ex-problem compulsive overeaters? That was the result of the program of recovery. That was the result of someone being willing to believe something different. So I, I had the comparison. I had my life. That was the result of my thinking and my logic and my self-knowledge and my intellect. And I had, on the other hand, across the table from me, people whose lives had been restored to sanity, whose lives had been transformed. They had new lives. They had been reborn. This is what they talked about. They talked about being reborn. I could compare, Leah, which one? (laughs) And out of pain and out of desperation and out of being beaten to a pulp, you know what? My mind was open to something different. It all began with a willingness to believe something different. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. And on that note, we are going to wrap things up. And I'd like to thank everyone who shared and my readers, uh, Lois, Evini, Julie, Rebecca, Penny E., and Judy B. for standing ready and waiting. And we're now going to have a close. Uh, we're now going to close with the reading of the big book on page 164. Uh, would you please read, Penny E.? Yes, good morning, everybody. Penny E. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. Obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and for countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.